0: 17th, all right, Lord, thank you, thank you for this time that we get to spend in your word together, God, thank you for this season, thank you for the celebration of life, thank you that we get to eat lunch together after service today, Lord, it is such a gift to belong to your family and to see that expressed in this local church, and so Lord, we pray this morning as we enter into your word that we would be reminded of who you are, and reminded of who we are in light of that. It's in your name we pray, amen. We are a storied people and we all love a good hero who can make things right. If you question whether or not that's true, I would just do a brief survey of some very popular Christmas movies One that is helpful for us to to see this would be a movie called Jingle All the Way (laughs) where the workaholic dad can save the day by working even harder to get the toy he forgot to get for his son. Or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer where a reindeer with a red nose is the only solution to make sure all the boys and girls get their presents this year the Grinch who stole Christmas. The bad guy becomes the good guy through random acts of kindness that change his heart. And now he makes Christmas happen for everyone. See, we want a hero. We want a hero. We desire a hero. We want someone to save the day. Christmas is in danger and the hero can fix it. In all of these stories, we're tapping into a greater reality, a greater story. The truest story. The reason why you and I crave a hero and the reason why we crave a happy ending. Since the beginning of time, since the beginning of humanity, we have been waiting for someone to come and make it right. God promises to send a hero, a redeemer, who will make all things right again. He promises to send someone who will rescue God's people from their sin. He promises to send somebody who will restore all things to the way God intended intended them to be. And throughout the story of the Bible, we see countless heroes show up. But none of them are perfect, and none of them bring about God's complete redemption. The people throughout the story of the Bible are still waiting for a Redeemer. This is the story of Scripture. It's the story we live into during Advent, answering the question who is the Redeemer? Who is the one who will make it all right again? If you have your Bible with you, we'll be in Isaiah chapter one and we'll be situated in verses 21 to 26 this morning. We read 24 to 26 for reasons I'm sure will become clear in a moment. Isaiah is sent to prophesy against God's people. They have rejected God in favor of human rulers. In a sense, what they have said is, we want the kingdom of God, we want his blessings, we want his good things, we want the good life, but we don't want to follow the king. We don't want to follow God. We want the good things about God, but we don't want his wisdom or his rule. We want his blessings, but we don't want him. We want what God can offer us, but we don't want God. See, the people, they fall into the age-old human trap of thinking they know what's best for them and so they want their own kings, they want their own rulers and their rejection of God as the king has led to them becoming a wicked nation where justice is undone and the people look more like the wicked nations of the world than they do God's holy people. And God speaks to his people through Isaiah And he says the problem is their leaders. They need new leaders because their current leaders have led the people away from God. And it's clear that the Redeemer has not come. In Isaiah chapter 1, what's becoming incredibly clear to us is that the Redeemer that God has promised is not on the scene yet. And we get this scolding indictment upon the people in verses 21 to 23. It says this, how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come before them. It's a scathing indictment. There's shock in this passage. There's anger, there's frustration. The people were supposed to be something, but they have... Failed to be something. We look at the first verse. They used to be known as a faithful bride of God. But now they have turned aside from idols. The language is offensive. Because sin is offensive. They used to be full of justice. They used to be a city that was part of God's work to make things right. But now they perpetuate injustice. You wanna know where you can go to make sure your case doesn't get heard? The people of God. They used to be prosperous, but now they are worthless. They used to have good leaders, but now they are corrupt. They pervert justice to the oppressed. God's people need a redeemer. God's people need new leaders. We can relate to this, can't we? (laughs) Like that's not too far off from our context. We live in a day and age where we look around and we're waiting for a redeemer. We're waiting for someone to come and make it right. The people of God needed redemption and here in 2023, we, the people of God, we need a redeemer. (laughs) As the people in the Old Testament waited for God's Redeemer, they found themselves looking for love in all the wrong places, as the song goes. This only ever led to brokenness. It only ever led to destruction. It only ever led to divine judgment. And as we await the return of our Redeemer, we often turn to other would-be saviors to rescue us from the brokenness of the world. You see, The problem with the people of God was not necessarily that they had need, but it's where they turned to to solve the problem of their need. And the problem today is not necessarily that you have need, but it's who you turn to to solve the problem. See, in in our day and age, we have a whole slew of potential saviors. We have... Entertainment, it's distraction. We can run from the problems in front of us by force feeding ourselves endless streams of media and content. We can distract ourselves in order to forget that there ever was a problem to begin with. But this does not ever bring salvation to us, friends. It only brings numbing apathy to our lives. And so sure, we can feel as if there isn't a problem anymore, but it's only because we're blinded to reality. Or maybe we're looking for our savior in people. We look to leaders and prominent role models for salvation. Maybe this person can fix the problems. Like Maybe, maybe just this person can lead me into life, but the problem with people is that they are people and they are broken, bound to fail, and at the very least bound to eventually die. There is an end to their ability, an end to their influence, an end to their ability to make things right. Another potential savior is we look to our nation. We put our hope in the state of our nation as it is. As long as our nation can get on the right track, we'll be all right. And Brothers and sisters, we have a year coming up. 2024 is an election year. And let me just tell you how easy it's going to be to try to put your hope in a party and forget who the Redeemer is. And let me just tell you how easy it's going to be to look to the results of the election for whether or not you have hope for the future. I'm telling you now and I'll remind you then and you can remind me too. We look to our nation to be the savior, but we are not waiting for an earthly nation to get it right. We're not waiting for an earthly nation made up of man-made systems and processes. We're waiting for God's kingdom. His is the only kingdom that will last. Some of us, maybe we look to money for our salvation, and money is our potential savior. Like if we just had a few more dollars, then we could get out of debt. And once we got out of debt, then we could start to put into savings and then we'd be all right. Then we'd be all right. Or maybe the opposite side of this is ah, feeling some issues, need to spend some money. Need to go buy something to make my life feel valuable. We can retail therapy our lives, distract ourselves by the newest and best thing. You can get a new iPhone every year, or maybe it's every other year, I don't know. There's just so much advertisement every year. We can get that next thing that will solve our problems. But the problem with money is that there's never enough. The savior becomes elusive, volatile, and something you've got to earn. If you love money, you will not be satisfied with money. Uh, Maybe an illustration will help. Um, There's a man. He worked his entire life saving every penny he had to make sure that he had enough in the bank to be secure. Like, gotta have a windfall. Gotta make sure if anything falls apart, I've got something to pull on. One day, he sees that his son is kind of struggling, he's like, you know what, I wanna wanna make sure that my son is also set up for success. And so he starts to do some research on some business ventures. And he finds a business venture, he's done countless hours of research, he's asked all the experts, and he is sure that this investment is going to be the one that sets not just himself up for success, but his son up for success. And so he pulls the trigger. He starts to make his money work for him. And at first it seems like it's going well. (coughs) At first, it seems like this is the answer. But it all falls apart. A global pandemic comes along. He loses everything and has nothing to leave to his son. He did everything right, but his hope was in his money, and now he has lost everything. That's Ecclesiastes 4. Treasuring our riches will always leave us disappointed. It is not a suitable savior. It's not a suitable security. It's not a place to put our hope. Maybe the savior for you is your family. Like, if my family can just approve of me, if my family can just be happy, then I'll be good then I'll be all right. So like if my spouse can sit as judge over my life and tap the gavel, say successful, all I've ever wanted in life, I'm never disappointed in you, then I can be happy, then I can have hope, then everything else will be fine. Or maybe if my kids can just tap the gavel and say, I love you, you're a great mom, you're a great dad, you're successful, I love you, then I could be happy, then I could just tap the gavel, then I could, be, they, they could, I could be done, that would be it, that would be all I need. Or if my parents could just see my hard work and all that I've done, they'd tap the gavel and say proud, worthy of love, accepted. But the problem, again, with humans being our savior is that we are fickle and we make terrible gods, which means we make for lousy saviors but we look for love in all the wrong places. This is what Advent reminds us of. That as we are waiting, there is a temptation to look for hope, to look for peace, to look for joy, to look for love in all of the wrong places. It's so easy to look for rescue, for hope, and for happiness in the things around us believing that they will bring about the redemption that we desperately need. And the Bible is just brutally honest with us. I love it. The Bible is so brutally honest with us. All other ways of redemption outside of God's Redeemer will only lead to brokenness, they will only lead to destruction, and they will only lead to divine judgment. If we are putting our hope in entertainment, in people, in the nation, in money, in family, it will only lead to brokenness, destruction, And divine judgment. Notice verse 24 and 25. This is the result of putting your hope in all the wrong places. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. The result of seeking redemption in anything other than God is always judgment. It will always end in pain and heartache. Look at the language here. I will get relief from my enemies. Who's he talking to in this? Who is the enemy of God in this? Well, it's the people of God, the ones waiting for the Redeemer. I will turn my hand against you. God comes to his people in judgment because they have sought the redemption that they are longing for in other false idols and false gods. Advent serves a key purpose in the life of the church. It reminds us that we are waiting for God to send his Redeemer and to fulfill his promises. But it also reminds us that as we're waiting, we are called to wait well, trusting in God and God alone And so we look back to these moments in the Old Testament to remind us how easy it is to find ourselves seeking comfort in failing redeemers. I mean, hear me out, like this is the people who their origin story as a nation is that God removed them from 400 years of harsh slavery by parting a literal Red Sea, and they walked through it. That's their redemption story. Their redemption story is being a weak nation who has nothing to offer the world and God builds them into a prosperous one. Like, if they can forget God, what makes you think that we won't have our moments of looking for a savior somewhere else? We're called to wait well. We look to these moments to remind us how easy it is to seek comfort in failing redeemers. You see, the Israelite people needed to regularly ask themselves, who is the redeemer? In asking this question, they would have remembered that God alone is the redeemer and we need to do the same thing. We need to ask, who is the redeemer we are waiting for? And the only answer is that it's God in the flesh, it's Christ alone. When we forget that, and we lean on other redeemers, we find ourselves in the same position as the Israelites under the words of Isaiah. We find ourselves under God's judgment. The people of God face God's judgment. They're removed from the promised land. They are, in this story, they're sent to exile. They're removed from God's presence. They're removed from God's place because they did not wait well But I want us to notice something about God's judgment in this text, and it's that God's judgment brings redemption. It is through God's judgment that the city is made right again. If we read verses 25b through 26, let's look at the end of this here. I will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy, and I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning afterward. So after my judgment, you shall be called the faithful city, or the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Do we notice that? that it's God's judgment that brings about his redemption. It's God's judgment that makes it all right again. God judges his people. The wicked city becomes a righteous city through the Lord's judgment, and in God's judgment of his people, he brings about his redemption, but it is through his judgment. How is this possible? Like, how can God bring judgment and redemption at the same time? Well, to answer that, we have to answer the question we've been asking this whole time. Who is the Redeemer? Who can make it right? God can. Only the hero of the story. Only God is the hero. Only God is the Redeemer. Only God can make it right. And what we are celebrating at this time of year is that in the incarnation, in the manger, where God became flesh, The mighty one of Israel, the eternal Son of God, he takes on our frame, he lives faithfully full of justice and righteousness, he is all that God's people were always supposed to be, and then he subjects himself to the judgment for us. He subjects himself to the judgment of God upon the cross for our redemption. You see, Advent reminds us that Christmas isn't just a holiday to be celebrated, This time of year is a time to remember that God became flesh so that we could be redeemed. God became flesh so that he could show his righteousness as both just and the justifier for those who have faith in Jesus. God became flesh to make all that was wrong right in the cross of Christ. We see a beautiful picture of God coming in judgment and buying redemption for his people. It's the only way God can be both just and he can justify you and I, sinners saved by grace, who constantly find our hope in other saviors, who constantly find ourselves under God's divine judgment, and yet God is gracious to you and I to bring about our redemption for all who believe in him. The judgment is no longer taken by you, it's taken by the cross of Christ. God is going to bring about redemption but his redemption is going to happen through judgment. And we can enjoy the blessings of his redemption by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, as the only possible Redeemer. You see, in our text today, the Old Testament people of God are waiting a Redeemer. They're waiting for a Redeemer. And you and I right now We are waiting for the return of our Redeemer. We're awaiting people. Unfortunately, the Old Testament people of God had trouble waiting for the arrival of Christ and often sought after other solutions. And unfortunately, we have trouble waiting for the arrival of Christ. And we often seek other solutions. God's plans are not thwarted. He will bring about his redemption through judgment and he often does. Even his judgment in the Old Testament shows his goodness. Like it's so important that we notice how this story plays out for Israel. This group of people, they will be removed from the kingdom. Their nation will be destroyed. They'll be sent into slavery again. De-creation. Their origin was removed from slavery, their end seems to be back in slavery. But every time God comes in judgment to his people, or discipline may be a better word, they always end up walking closer to him afterwards as a result. Later on in the story, this people will come back from exile and they will renew their faithfulness to God. They will rebuild the temple, they will pursue him again, and it won't last long, because Christ the Redeemer has not come. But God's discipline leads his children back to him. We don't like the idea of discipline, even me saying it may make some of us cringe in here. But all of us know those parents who have never disciplined their kids, probably sat next to them in a restaurant I'm sure there's some of them in our children's ministry. I'm sure my kid is some of those at some point in time. <laughs> the problem in those moments is that parents who don't discipline their kids, they don't do that because they love their kids. They do that because they don't want to be inconvenienced. But discipline is a loving way of bringing your kids back into the right way of living and being in the world. Hear me, godly discipline is always out of a place of love. Always out of a place of love. And man, parents in here, maybe you're not a parent, maybe you're a grandparent, maybe you will be a parent one day, this is important for all of us. Maybe you have parents, which is everyone. Um, We must only discipline out of a place of love. I've been uh, fairly convicted lately by something I'm noticing in my own heart. Uh, So I have a three year old and he is awesome and he is special uh, at times with his defiance. Um, The the ability he has to hear something from the other side of the house and then when I'm trying to actually tell him to do something, his hearing is magically gone is amazing. (laughs) Um, I love him, and because I love him, I need to discipline him. And there are times when I'm trying to tell him to do something and he's not listening, and the gentle voice like this is not getting the job done, and so I've told him, Emric, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to have to be firmer with you, with my words. I have to be firmer, my, my voice is going to get louder, and you will see me become a little firmer, because you need to know that this is serious. But I've noticed something about myself. Uh, I'm not always calculated in that. Like sometimes I'm firm because my child has given me an excuse and I want to lose patience. Sometimes I'm firm because I don't wanna deal with it right now. I don't wanna be patient. And I'm using discipline as an excuse for my own impatience. You see, there may even be a good reason, but it certainly isn't love that is motivating that discipline. That's not godly discipline. You see, God is always patient. He is always slow to anger and quick to forgive. And my response in parenting should be shaped by the discipline of the Lord. So how does Advent shape the way we imagine our lives? Well, it imagines how we wait well in our parenting even. God's discipline is always from a place of love, and the result of God's discipline on his children is always restorative. It's always redemptive. It's always to bring them back. It's never to shame, it's never to push away, it's always to bring them back into relationship with himself. And here and now, as we wait well for God, we wait as we serve a God who is faithful to discipline those he loves so that we might experience his redemption. The result of God's discipline, the result of God's judgment upon his people is always redemption, it's always restoration, and it's always so that we will see the only possible redeemer for us is the Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal son of God who took on flesh and dwelt among us so that we could be brought back into relationship with God. Advent, this time of year, reminds us that the redeemer has come and then invites us into faithfulness as we wait for him. Not looking to other gods for our salvation. Not looking to other would-be saviors. But remembering that it is Christ and Christ alone and he is returning. What does it look like for us to live faithfully as we wait for the redemption that Christ will one day bring in its fullness. Well, I think number one, we remember Jesus Christ. That is hopefully what you've picked up from any time here at Jesus Chapel. We make a big deal about Jesus. Why? Because it's really easy to forget Jesus. We have a literal holiday that is about him That we have turned into other things. It's really easy to forget him. Remember Jesus Christ. Posture yourself around people who are constantly reminding you of Jesus. That's what we attempt to do at Jesus Chapel. It's why we think church attendance is important. Because we forget easily. Not because we want numbers, but because we want you to remember Jesus. And that's what we're set about to do here is to remember Jesus Christ to consider Jesus Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and you may come to me sometime, and you may say to me, Austin, it seems like all we talk about is Jesus, and I'll be like, yes, you're getting it. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm so glad you finally figured that out. Welcome to church. Second thing, um, at any given point in time, I'll steal Vinnie's words from last week, you are either going through a trial, coming out of a trial or about to go into a trial. And it is so important that you build mechanisms in your life that remind you to trust God. Whatever that looks like. Man, my mom, she's famous for note cards all over the house. All over the house on everybody's bathroom mirrors. They're not even your you're not even your bathroom mirror, mom. Like, this is my bathroom. You live in my house. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Remember that you can trust God and build mechanisms into your life to remind you to trust him, whether that's, man, hey, this is a, a prayer that I pray that reminds me to trust God. This is a, a person in my life who, who knows me and knows my tendencies to forget. This is a postcard in my car. This is a daily time in the word whatever it may be, constantly reminding ourselves of who God is and that we can trust him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you that you always bring about redemption through your judgment and that you, as you walk in judgment, are always after redemption, Lord. We thank you that we, as your people, as sons and daughters of God, can look at your judgment not as you um, punishing us eternally, but we can look at it as you disciplining us as a Father who loves us. Lord, what good news that that we have a Father who loves us and who disciplines us. Lord, what good news that we have a Father who is eternally patient, steadfast, loving kindness, but will by no means clear the guilty. Lord, you have been faithful to punish the guilty who believe in Christ on the cross of Christ. And so, Lord, may we run to you. May we behold what is happening in the incarnation that the Redeemer has arrived. That you condescended to us. You came down and communicated with us. We rejoice in that, Lord. We rejoice that you were the Redeemer, that you were always faithful, and because of that, we can lean on you. Help us to remember Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Stand and we'll sing together.